Well, we want to read two portions in the Word of God. First of all, the first two verses of Ezra 5, and then from Zechariah chapter 4. So please turn to these passages, Ezra chapter 5, reading verses 1 and 2, and then Zechariah chapter 4. We'll read a portion of that chapter. I add my own words of welcome to those given by Mr. Stewart, and trust the Lord will be with us, bless us today as we gather together unto Him, meet around His Word. I concur with all that they said about the Bible conference and how the Lord blessed and answered prayer, and we thank God for that. And so, let us keep those meetings in mind and in prayer. We can't relive them, but we can pray over them, and we need to do that and pray that God will use the Word mightily even yet. And let's press on in the Lord's work here as we seek to serve Him together. So Ezra 5 and verses 1 and 2, then turning to Zechariah chapter 4. Then the prophets Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Ido prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and Jasher the son of Josedach, and began to build the house of God which is at Jerusalem. And with them were the prophets of God helping them. Then Zechariah 4, and we read together from the verse 1. And the angel that talked with me came again and waked me as a man that is wakened out of his sleep and said unto me, What sayest thou? And I said, I have looked, and behold, a candlestick all of gold with a bowl upon the top of it, and his seven lamps thereon, and seven pipes to the seven lamps, which are upon the top thereof, and two olive trees by it, one upon the right side of the bowl, and the other upon the left side thereof. So I answered and spake to the angel that talked with me, saying, What are these, my Lord? Then the angel that talked with me answered and said unto me, Knowest thou not what these be? And I said, No, my Lord. And then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord, unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shoutings, crying, Grace, grace, unto it. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet and the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord, which run to and fro through the whole earth. And we know that God will bless the reading of His Word to all of us. Could we just again have a word of prayer? Let's bow together and let's seek the Lord. Our Heavenly Father, we wait on Thee. We do so in the name of Thy well-beloved Son, our Savior. We thank Thee for the Redeemer, the Advocate above, the One who finished the work, the One who ascended to heaven, 
who entered in on our behalf, and even now is the very personification of all true intercession. Lord, we confess our need of Christ's intercession. We confess our need of the help of the Holy Spirit, even as we wait before Thee and we continue around the book of God. O Lord, draw near, lift our minds away from everything else. Lift this meeting to a higher level, stage by stage, as we consider the Word, as we come to look at the message that Thou hast given in our study on Ezra. Lord, draw very near. Give us help by the Spirit of the living God. Grant us Thy presence. Touch my heart. Cleanse me from every stain. Breathe on me, breath of God, just as we have been singing. Let us experience what we have sung. O Lord, may preacher and listener both enjoy the help of God now, that sweet sense of Thy presence. We ask this in Jesus' name and for God's everlasting praise and glory. Amen and amen. I wish you to keep your Bibles open at Zechariah 4. We will go back to Ezra in a little while, but open our Bibles now at Zechariah chapter 4. There are in verse number 6 very well-known words, and they are these at the end of the verse, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now in Ezra 5, verses 1 and 2, two of the minor prophets, Haggai and Zechariah, come into view. Their names appear on the page of Scripture there suddenly, but really very naturally for the simple reason that they belong to the time frame that is in view in those books of Ezra, Nehemiah, and of course the books that they themselves wrote, Haggai and Zechariah. These two men served God after the Babylonian exile had come to an end. They ministered, therefore, to the people who returned from Babylon. The two men were contemporaries. Haggai was the older of the two. Zechariah, as we find from the first chapter of his little book, was a young man. They were also contemporaries with Zerubbabel and with Joshua, Joshua, the high priest. They played a vital role in that era of great need in the work of God. They brought messages from the Lord that stirred the people to pursue the work that was set before them, the work of the rebuilding of God's house. It is therefore essential that we give some attention, at least to the writings of Haggai and Zechariah, since they are in that framework in which Ezra, the book of Ezra, is actually written. And the study that we're conducting, Revival in Ezra's Times, requires that we know something about the ministry of these two prophets and what they actually said to the Lord's people. Now, for that reason, in the message of a few weeks ago, I brought your attention to Haggai chapter 1, a chapter that reveals that his preaching resulted in the resumption of the work of the rebuilding of the temple. We actually learn that within three weeks the work resumed, and it proceeded very quickly, much to the annoyance, of course, of the people of the land, the enemies of God and His work. And so the Samaritans resumed their 
and renewed their opposition. They used the same tactic that they had used before. They sent a letter to the Persian emperor Darius to persuade him to issue a new decree to stop the work that had again commenced. That is the work of the rebuilding of the temple. Now that goal was not achieved. In fact, the very opposite took place as we read and we study carefully. Darius did offer or did issue a new decree concerning the work in Jerusalem, but in favor of the work. And that resulted in the temple actually being rebuilt and the work completed again in a very short time. Now, the completion of the rebuilding of God's house was remarkable. It was nothing short of a miracle. And it should engage our deep interest. When we study carefully, we find that the prophet Zechariah's ministry was greatly used by God, just as the ministry of Haggai had been used. We compare scriptures in relation to these two men, and we find that Zechariah's ministry actually started about a month before Haggai's ministry came to a close, as far as his preaching ministry is concerned that we know about. We're not saying he never ministered again, but that actually happened. Haggai did complete his ministry in terms of delivering the messages that are recorded for us in his little book. Therefore, when we come to look at Zechariah, we find that he continued on ministering after Haggai had stopped preaching in relation to what we have in his book. And Zechariah continued to the sixth year of this emperor, this king, Darius. And that was the year in which the rebuilding of the temple was actually brought to a completion. And therefore, Zechariah's ministry figured prominently in the rebuilding of the temple. And during those years, the consummation of the building, it continued and it came to that great climax as these little books show to us so clearly and so powerfully. The passage that I've read with you today here in Zechariah 4, bears out this fact of the impact of the prophet's preaching ministry on the completion of the reconstruction of the house of God. Verse 9 here, if you look at it with me, makes this point clear in reference to the house being finished. It says, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also uh, finish it. Furthermore, we should note that this message that's in Zechariah 4 was delivered and directed to Zerubbabel especially. Look at verse number 6, the verse to which I drew your attention when I referred to those closing words. But read the whole verse now. It says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. Here is a personal word for Zerubbabel. Isn't it remarkable that the Lord knows the individual needs of His people, even the prophet, the preacher, He knows His needs. And He sent a word to Zerubbabel, uh, the man of God, the leader of the work, uh, through the, the mouth of Zechariah. And it says here, this is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel. He was the chief leader in the return. He was the main uh, instrument of God in the rebuilding of the temple, and therefore a message is brought to him by Zechariah to encourage Zerubbabel. 
with regard to continuing on in his labor for God. Now, the theme of the message brought to Zerubbabel was one that runs the whole way through the Word of God in so many places, that God's work is done, is carried on, comes to its climax and God's arrangement of things through the agency of the Holy Spirit. That is at the heart of the message, that fact of the agency of the Spirit is at the heart of the message that Zechariah delivered, that is found here in Zechariah chapter 4. Through his servant Zechariah, God revealed that the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem was not going to fail. It was not going to remain at a standstill, but rather it was going to go on and go forward and continue until its very conclusion. And therefore, this is what accounts for the wonderful progress that is recorded for us in in Ezra, rather, chapters 5 and 6. And based on Zechariah's message, we understand, therefore, that in spite of all the opposition, in spite of the overwhelming odds that were faced by Zerubbabel and his colleagues and God's people in general, the rebuilding of the Lord's house was going to go forward, and all because of the ministry, the agency of the Holy Spirit. The agency of the Spirit, that is the core of Zechariah's ministry and message here, as is summed up in verse number 4. Those words, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. I grant you, those words you have heard preached on umpteen times, I would imagine. But remember their setting. This is vital. They're not merely words that are general, that had no specific application to the day in which Zechariah lived or Zerubbabel lived. That's the point. They had a very, very specific application. They were a word in season for this man and his colleagues and the whole congregation of the Lord. And in that sense of things, they therefore have an application to God's people, especially in a day of difficulty, in a day when trials are upon the hearts of God's people. We've been hearing this week about all the struggles of the saints. A very specific line of thought. One struggle after another was in focus in the ministry of our brother. But that does not mean that the struggles have ended. The fact that he has preached on them and dealt with them in that specific manner one by one. I am sure that sitting in this congregation this morning, there are people who are struggling still. And here we are looking at the struggle that the work of God encounters with regard to seeing it go forward, seeing it being increased and growing and developing under the hand of God. My dear friend, that's a very real matter. And that is a matter that we need to always keep before us. And therefore, these words, while they had a specific application in the days in which they were spoken, spoken, they never grew old. They're never out of date. They're always relevant. And every Christian here needs to take note of that. I know that most of you have been out this week 
and you're maybe tired this morning, but may God waken us all up, even from our physical weaknesses and weariness, and help us to understand what has been said here, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. There are three things about the Spirit's agency I want to show you. Number one, it is a singular agency. The text emphasizes that the Spirit of God alone is the sole agent through whom the work of God is accomplished. The text therefore underlines that in a certain sense, a very real sense, the work of God is never accomplished by human agency, but by the Spirit of God alone. In that sense, we speak of the singular agency of the Spirit of God in the vital and essential work that needs to be done always, that must be ongoing, that must we must pray will never cease and will never come to a halt we must understand that the accomplishment of what needs to be accomplished can only be accomplished through the singular and sole agency of the Spirit of the living God. Now notice here how the words read. It says, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord or Jehovah of hosts. And underlined in those words, we, we notice to begin with here concerning the Spirit's agency, His role within the Godhead. Take the little pronoun, my. Here is Jehovah speaking. It's very clear. Jehovah of hosts. That's the name at the end of the verse. But He says this, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit. And so Jehovah's Spirit is in view. And of course, that is the Holy Spirit. And I emphasize the pronoun my, just to bring it home to you, that among the persons of the Trinity of the Godhead, the Spirit's role is to be the singular agent of Jehovah. And I want that to really sink into your hearts is the reason why we must be very, very careful not to grieve the Holy Ghost, not to quench the Holy Ghost, not to sin against the Holy Ghost in either of those two ways and in multiple other ways. Because we're being shown here that there is nothing to be done, nothing will be done in the work of God except by the Spirit of God. And when you think about the Holy Spirit, therefore, His role within the Godhead being emphasized here by Jehovah, we, we are treading in holy, holy ground. John fifteen twenty six says this, When the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you, says our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Notice from that verse, John fifteen twenty six, that the Spirit is sent from and comes from, proceeds from, both the Father and the Son. There are the Father and the Son in the glory. The one is the invisible Father unseen ever by mortal eye. The other is the Son in His flesh, now back in the glory, the God-man, 
whom every eye will see someday. But the two of them send forth the Holy Spirit. It simply means that the Spirit comes with all the authority of heaven. He comes with all of the, all of the power of the Godhead at His disposal. And therefore, the Spirit's role, as is underlined by these words, not by might, not by power, but by my Spirit, is a role that flows out of the Godhead above. Go through the Bible and notice how this is brought out, that the Spirit's role comes from that source. You have His place in creation. Not only did God speak, but the Spirit moved by the Word of the Lord, were the heavens made, and all the host of them by the breath, the Spirit of His mouth, Psalm 33, 6, or in providence, and I love that verse in Psalm 104, a remarkable verse, which says this, Thou sendest forth Thy Spirit, referring to creation and all around us in creation. Thou sendest forth Thy Spirit, they are created, and Thou renewest the face of the earth. Ah, my friend, the Holy Ghost is always at work in providence across the face of the earth, renewing and maintaining and keeping alive as God's providence is exercised. And so the Spirit moves in creation and the Spirit moves in providence. And as you've often heard me say and other preachers say, the Spirit is the one who is the agent of the Godhead in redemption. It's the Holy Ghost alone who applies the blessings of, redemptive, of the Lord's redemptive work onto the hearts and the lives of sinners. That's the particular area that we're thinking about in these words. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Regarding redemption, the particular area of the Spirit's agency is to apply the benefits and the blessings and all that Christ has won for sinners to sinners at a personal and even a collective level. When He comes down, the Spirit does this. That entails, therefore, the building of the work of God, its progress, its development, its increase. It's the Holy Spirit alone who can bring this about. It's His agency as the agent of the Godhead. Let us remind ourselves of these doctrinal facts and understand things properly and clearly that there's one person within the Godhead who is sent forth into this world, yes, to create and to provide in that creation for all humanity, but specifically the arena of His work is within the church among those who are God's people, those whom He's gathering in, who, whom He's saving by His grace, that body of Christians who are the Lord's people across the face of the earth. He works there. He moves there. He's the teacher. He's the leader. He's the instructor. He's the illuminator. He is the guide. He's the strengthener. He's everything that we need, folks. And without that, nothing will ever be done but by the blessed Spirit of God. Now, that is not to say, of course, that God does not employ human agency or instrumentality. We know in the light of Scripture that is not the case. God does use agents that are human. He took men to write the Bible. Holy men of God, as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, wrote the Scriptures. The Holy Ghost giving them the very words 
to put on the page of the original autographs. And then, of course, ministry, all kinds of ministry. It is carried out through men, I mean through human beings. Did not Paul say to the Corinthians, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, speaking of himself, his colleagues, all true preachers. And you can broaden that out. Every servant of God is but an earthen vessel, but we rejoice that the Lord takes us and uses us. That is why it's so important for every Christian to get before God and say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? Don't make an excuse out of the fact that you're only a human being. God uses human beings saved by grace in ministry, in governing the church, in whatever way you want to mention. We understand that. But you see, the whole point is that human instrumentality would be useless without the sole agency of the Spirit of God. God used Zerubbabel. God used his colleague Joshua, or Jeshua as it's sometimes written, as his instruments. But his use of them was by the agency of the Spirit. And that's underlined to these men, just not only Zerubbabel himself personally, but those with him, not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And the reference there is to human might and human power. The danger, you see, is though that though man is but an earthen vessel, sometimes man imagines. I'm talking about Christian men, Christian women, of whatever age group. Sometimes we imagine that we possess all that we need by which the work of God may be done, accomplished, go forward and move. And yet the Lord's telling us here that is just not so. Notice the words. And notice that God's work is not wrought by human strategy. That's what the word power means in this statement. Not by might nor by power. So that's what the word might means, I, I should say, in this statement, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. The word might also refers to army. It can be translated that way, an army. Now, an army has many features to it. I, I'm not going to even mention them except for one. Now, an army must have skill and strategy in order to be able to accomplish its goals. Uh, maybe you've been reading about, well, what has been reported of the Russian army and whether that's, I don't know what that's all about or if it's all true or not, but if it's all true, oh, dear me, they are in trouble. An army must have a strategy, must be able to follow through on a prescribed plan that is drawn up for them and they are then commanded to follow this through. And so that's the sense of the word might here. It refers to an army and its skills and its strategy. And you see, there's an awful danger there with regard to God's work. Yes, the Lord's people are His army. He says to us, you're soldiers of the cross, you're soldiers of the Lord Jesus. There's a combat, there's a war, there's a conflict. We're all conscious of this. But when we get into the midst of some battleground, into some conflict, is it not the case that we then begin to think that our strategies are all that is needed? We can do this, we can do that, we can accomplish things, and they 
Um, what we're really saying is we can do without the Holy Ghost. But the Lord says no. He says it's not by human strategy. We need the Spirit. Now, there's one specific area that we need to mention here with regard to the Spirit of God, and that is the wisdom of the Spirit, the wisdom of the Holy Ghost. The Lord says unto His people in Ephesians that we are to be wise. He says, be not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. He speaks to us about wisdom over and over again. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of wisdom. In Isaiah chapter 11, the first few verses, you find the prophet writing there about the Holy Spirit, describing Him, setting forth His qualities, setting forth the abilities of the Holy Spirit. And you know where he starts? He starts with wisdom. He refers to the Holy Ghost as the Spirit of wisdom. He goes on from there to mention understanding and then counsel. Now, those three arenas, wisdom, understanding, counsel, are very, very closely akin the one to the other. Then he goes on to talk about might and, and the fear of the Lord and so on. But listen, listen to the Word of God, dear Christian. The Holy Ghost is the Spirit of wisdom. Remember what the Lord says through James? And every one of us needs to take heed to this. James 1, 3, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. James also writes in James 3, 17, about the wisdom that is from above. And the reference is to the wisdom of the Spirit, obviously. God gives wisdom unto His children, as they seek to do His work and, and carry it through. And men and women, we need to ask for that wisdom. Pray that the Holy Spirit will come upon us. We will have Spirit-given wisdom, and it's secured as we pray. Any man lack wisdom? And the inference is, yes, we do. Taking James's words, let him ask of God. Are you facing something, some situation today in your home, your family life, wherever it might be, and it really is a challenge, and you wonder how to handle it. This happens all the time, and I'm aware of it. I'm aware of it, first of all, because I'm just a man like you, uh, a human being like you. And the work of God is very challenging, very difficult, very much a, a battle. You have no idea. You have no idea. I'm not saying this to draw attention to a minister, whoever he might be, but you have no idea. The questions, the letters, the emails, the phone calls that come one after the other from people most of the time genuinely seeking help. Sometimes ministers get anonymous letters. They go straight into the bin, let me tell you. And I'm talking about those who have got a genuine need. And I have to pray, Lord, give me wisdom. But you see, on the other end, the flock of God, the Lord's people, 
you need to pray for wisdom because there's no man has all wisdom, obviously, no man. Therefore, you need the Holy Ghost to teach you. You must not plan. You must not go forth in life. And there's so many, many areas that could be mentioned if I had time this morning, and I don't. But there's so many areas where we all need real strategic wisdom from the Spirit of the living God. And therefore, we must seek it because God's work will never be wrought by human strategy. And then I must move quickly here, taking the next word, the word power. Well, that signifies human strength. Human strategy, human strength. Once we get the strategy right, then we need the strength. We need the power, in other words. And so this is divine power, because it's the power of the Holy Ghost that's in view here. Again, men are instruments of the Lord. We all are, every child of God, everyone whom the Lord has saved. All of you sitting out there in front of me now, all of you online, God has saved you. He's taken you for a purpose, not only to bring you to heaven someday, but to use you here on earth. Use you in so many different ways. You need power. And with regard to the whole work of God, we need the power of the Holy Ghost coming down In other words, fleshly energy cannot do a work that is spiritual. That's the issue. God's work is a spiritual work. It's spiritual in nature. It has spiritual goals. The the goals of God's work are all spiritual, to see people saved, to see Christians grow, to see backsliders brought home, to see the missionary work of of the church of God go forward and develop, to see the homework uh, of the work really advance. And I tell you, my friend, there's a, a vast multitude of needs with regard to the work of God, but human strength is of no avail. Now, you bring it down to your personal life. I generalize there as I, re- as I refer to different a- arenas of the work of God. But what about your, your life tomorrow? What about your life next week? How do you know what's coming round the corner? Situations and difficulties. When you might have to confront hell, and you will. The devil comes. Some critic arises. He wants to undermine your Christian life. He wants to draw you away from the Lord. This goes on all the time. And that's why Christians must realize that human strategy and human strength can accomplish nothing. We need the Holy Spirit to do the work, the sole agency of the Spirit of God. Again, for this we must pray. Take the great promise of the Lord Jesus in Luke 11. If ye being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? My dear friend, go to the throne of grace and seek for what is in view in these words. For it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my Spirit. You need the sole singular agency of the Holy Ghost. It's also not only singular It's sovereign, a sovereign agency. Look at verse 7. The very next part really flows out of verse 6. And a question is asked, Who art thou, O great mountain? 
before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. Now, this is a metaphor. In Scripture, you will find that the mountain is symbolic of opposition. This is not a physical mountain that was standing there uh, in the area of Jerusalem and, and, and it was standing in the way of building the temple. No, no, not at all. It's a metaphor. It's a figure of speech that's used here. And what we've been told is, it says, Who art thou, O great mountain? It seems insurmountable. It seems that Zerubbabel will, will not be able to get by it, over it, around it, whatever. Listen to what it says, Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain. And what the Lord is saying there is that He's the one who lowers our mountains. Remember what Christ was said of Christ in His ministry in Luke chapter 3, where it talks about every mountain and hill being brought down, every valley being exalted. It's only God who can deal with our mountains. And you know the little chorus, got any mountains and rivers and so on that you think are impassable and uncrossable? Take that to the Lord. The Lord's telling you here, he's able, to, he's able to reduce it. That's the sense of the words. Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain. Now, the thought is, here's the strength, here's the sovereign work of the Holy Spirit, removing opposition, removing difficulty, removing challenge. Surely I speak to someone, or more than one, in this message, for God has brought us this line, who is facing a mountain, it seems. There's resistance to your Christian life. There's resistance to your spiritual development. There's this mountain that seems that it grows bigger and bigger and bigger, and you just can't get around it or see your way through it. God is telling you here today that by the Holy Ghost's sovereignty, that mountain can be reduced to where it's a plain and here's the thought, here's the point in that. If you think about it physically, if, if a mountain is standing your way or a hill or whatever, and it's suddenly reduced to a plain, that means that the way ahead is exactly over the territory where the mountain stood. That the way forward is across the ground where the mountain now lies, uh, reduced to a plain. Uh, in other words, the obstacle, or what was an apparent obstacle, has become the pathway to victory. That's the wonderful thing that Ezekiel was being told by the Lord here with regard to the sovereign agency of the Holy Ghost. The obstacle, the seeming obstacle, actually becoming a pathway to victory because the Lord says, I'll just bring it down, it becomes a plain, and you'll go on ahead, and it will be out of your road altogether. Let's go to Ezra 5, quickly, because... Uh, in Ezra 5 and also into Ezra 6, we have this wonderfully seen. Look in Ezra 5. I read the first two verses, and we saw the, the reference made to these two men. And we read here the rest of the chapter. We haven't time to do that now. Uh, and we notice what actually took place as we go down through these verses with regard to the mountain being reduced to a plain. The enemy comes back again, and the enemy opposes. You see, they, they want the work stopped, as I explained to you. But we find in these verses that the eye of their God was upon them. In His providence, the Lord was watching over them, helping them, so that the work would not cease. 
Remember that the providence of God is dispensed, as we saw earlier, by the sovereign agency of the Holy Spirit. Now, I can't lay my eyes at this moment on those words about the eye of the Lord being upon them. The eye of their God was upon them. I have to confess that. I've written in the wrong reference. But take my word for it, it's there. The eye of God was upon them. Now, go back, please, to Zechariah chapter 4. I want you to see something in Zechariah 4 now in verse number 10 that actually brings out here in a wonderful way what is meant by the eye of the Lord being upon them. That's the wonderful thing. If you're facing a burden, a problem, a mountain, remember this, Christian. The Lord's eyes on you. He knows exactly what's happening. Nothing is hidden from Him. Everything is seen by the all-seeing eye of God. Now, Zechariah 4, verse number 10. It says, For who have despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hands of Zerubbabel with those seven. Listen, they are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. Notice that reference to the seven eyes of the Lord. The term signifies God's perfect providence exercised by the Holy Spirit among His people as they labor in the work of God. The seven eyes running to and fro through the earth. It's a reference to the Holy Ghost. You say, how do you know that? Well, go with me to Revelation 5. Revelation 5 and the verse number 6. And here we read again of these seven eyes. And I'll read the verse, or you may turn to it if you will. It says in Revelation 5, 6, refers to a lamb, that's Christ, having seven eyes, listen, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the earth. The seven eyes, the seven spirits are brought together. Why seven? It's very easy to understand. Seven, especially in the book of Revelation, is the number of perfection. And the reference, therefore, is to the perfect spirit. This is the point. You're imperfect. I'm imperfect. Therefore, our labors are imperfect. That's why we fail. That's why we have no strength of our own. And our strategies are all wrong times if the Holy Ghost is not in it. But here is the perfect Spirit acting in sovereign providence to bring about the accomplishment of the work of the Lord Jesus, the redemptive work of Christ being applied in this world in the building of His church. Remember, the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem is a portrayal of the Lord building His church in this world. And we're seeing here the connection between the reference to the eye of the Lord, the seven eyes of the Lord, the seven eyes of Christ. And it says so clearly, which are the seven spirits, the perfect spirit, the Bible contains the answer. We let the Word of God interpret itself. The Holy Ghost is perfect because He's God. He has perfect wisdom, perfect power. He works and no one can resist him. He moves. He operates. This is going on all the time. Dear Christian, this is the answer to your needs. If you go back now again to Ezra 6, and look with me there in Ezra 6, at some of the things that began to happen, the effects of the sovereign providential agency of the Holy Ghost, 
verses 1 to 5. If you want to note these in your Bible, it's up to you. It might help you when you come to read this again. In Ezra 6, verses 1 to 5, those verses record the discovery of the original decree that was made by Cyrus. We saw that at the very beginning of this study. That man, Cyrus, who's no longer in view here, but he gave the decree, go back to Jerusalem and build the house of God. Ezra 1, 1 and 2, you find it there. And in verses 1 to 5 here of chapter 6 of Ezra, there is a reference to that. Then from verse 6 to verse 12, we read of a new decree emitted or issued by Darius, his new decree. And what you find is wonderful here with regard to this new decree. Just look at some of the things that Darius put into this decree. Remember the whole story. They have written again to Darius, these enemies of God. Once the work started, they sent another letter to this new emperor. Stop the work. They brought all kinds of lies and misrepresentations against the men of God. And so Ezra, or sorry, Haggai and Zechariah preach the work recommences. And Darius now, who's on the throne, he issues a new decree. That's the historical record. That's the sequence of events. And through that new decree, there was an issuing of beneficial and generous terms regarding the people of God against the odds, all the odds that prevailed, all the odds that were against them. Everything is remarkable in how God began to work and began to provide. He gave them permission. Look there in Ezra 6 at verse number 7. It says at the end of the verse, Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews build this house of God in its place. There's permission. Permission to go ahead. Imagine that. Darius is a pagan. He doesn't know God. He's the ruler. Isn't this an example of what you read in Proverbs 21? The heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. He turneth it whithersoever he wills. Here you have an example. Against all the odds, and against the desires of the enemies, Darius said, let this work of God go on. There in verse number 7, let the Jews build. He also not only gave permission, he gave protection. Look at the first part of verse 7. Aren't these wonderful words? Let the work of this house of God alone. That's a remarkable statement. It's a command from the emperor. Don't touch it. Let it alone. Now, dear believer, do you believe that God could do that today? We are facing awful times. I think some of us are not even conscious, we're not aware enough of what has been legislated against Christianity and the Lord's people and schools and so on. It is really fast moving. Do you understand, do you realize that Northern Ireland now has in place, ready to be implemented, the worst abortion laws you could find about across the face of the earth. Do you realize that already over 4,000 abortions have taken place over a very short period of time? Do you realize that our day schools, 
are now been moved against. And it's being said by legislators and people in high places, we've got to get all Christianity out of our primary schools. These are serious days, alarming days. There's a concerted effort been made in this province against our whole ethos, our whole Protestant way of life, our whole Christian background to destroy it. And what we need is for God to step in. And that's what happened here. This man, Darius, he actually gave not only permission, he gave protection. They also gave provision. Look at verse 8. Moreover, I make a decree that what ye shall do to the elders of these Jews for the building of this house of God, that of the king's goods, even of the tributes beyond the river, forthwith expenses be given unto these men, that they be not hindered. He goes on to talk about all the physical necessities, bullocks and rams and lambs. Now listen to this in verse 9. Coming out of the mouth of a man who is a pagan, he says these bullocks, rams, lambs, for the burnt offerings of the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, and oil, according to the appointment of the priests, which are at Jerusalem. Let it be given them day by day without fail, that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven. And listen to this. And pray for the life of the king. That's Darius. It's a remarkable thing. This is the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. Here are the eyes of the Lord at work, the perfect spirit moving a man like Darius to give a new decree where he grants all these benefits and all these permissions and protections and provisions. My dear friend, the Holy Ghost can deal with unregenerate men to recognize that at least the gospel is a benefit to society. Notice verse 10 again that they may offer sacrifices of sweet savors unto the God of heaven. Listen, and pray for the life of the king and of his sons. Darius realizes that these people are God's people, and they can pray for me. I want their prayers. It is remarkable. He recognizes that God must be appeased by sweet savors, as those words show you in verse 10. Now, it can only be approached in prayer on that basis, that the prayers of Christians have a healthy impact on society. And all of that came about through the sovereign agency of the Holy Ghost. Now, what is the application of all of that to our hearts today? I cannot tell you from this pulpit what God is going to do in our nation, our little province. I have no idea. But what I do see from these verses is you and I need to pray for the Spirit of God to come and pray for that as never before in order to provide for the well-being of the Lord's church and the protection of His cause so that the things of God, no matter what happens in Northern Ireland, just take our own little country, do you know what's going to happen here? Have you any idea? No, you don't any more than I do. But whatever happens, God's work must go on. There has been a thinking, you see, 
if there were a united Ireland, and I'm not wanting that by any means, but there has been the thinking, if there's a united Ireland someday, God's work will start. Is that true? Go and live in Spain. Go and live in Portugal. Go and live in Ukraine, Russia. Totalitarian regimes to quite a degree. And is God's work at a halt? Is it not going on? Are people not being saved? Is the church not growing? You see, we've got to get rid of our thinking that somehow or other God's work is synonymous with some political position. It's not. And across the face of this earth, the blessed Spirit of God is moving and working to bring about the fulfillment of the will of God for the glory of God. My last thought, I just mentioned it. There is this sole singular agency of the Spirit, the sovereign agency of the Spirit, but the successful agency of the Spirit. Look at Zechariah now as we close, verse 8. It says, The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house, his hands shall also finish it. And thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts has sent me unto you. There's the successful agency of the Spirit of God, a successful completion of the work. And notice what it said there, what is said there about Zerubbabel. His hands have laid the foundation. His hands shall finish it. What do you see Zerubbabel there as in terms of what that all means? He's the author and he's the finisher. He points us to Christ. Christ has laid the foundation. He is the foundation. Christ will put on the headstone, as it were, when He comes again, and the work of God will be successful. The successfulness of the work of the living God on this earth, in this world, through the one who is the author and the finisher of the faith. And therefore, be heartened today, dear Christian. Look away to the Spirit of God. The preacher who will come to the pulpit tonight, Mr. Stewart, what does he want? He wants that prayer room full full to overflowing. Why is it not happening? Do we not believe anymore in the agency of the Spirit? He cannot preach without the Holy Ghost. He needs you to pray for Him. Don't just go to the prayer meeting because I say it this way. But may God move our hearts. We can stand around and chat before services start, but we're not in the prayer meetings. Is that right? I mean, I'm not asking, is what I said right? It is right. I've seen it. I'm asking, is it right in a sense? Is it proper? Is it what God's people should be doing? You see what I'm saying? It's just a very specific thing. We need the Holy Ghost. And He comes in answer to prayer. Therefore, let's seek Him.
as never before. Let us bow in prayer. And Father, we pray that Thy Word will dwell in us richly. Use it for Thy glory. Apply it by the Spirit Himself. Challenge our souls. Lead us onwards and upwards with God. Bless those who remain for the table. Be with us as we remember our Savior's death. Remember those among us who are not saved. O God, deal with them and draw them to Christ. May the Spirit do His work there. May He move in sovereign, singular power today and bring to a glorious success the redemptive work of Christ and His application to the soul. We ask this in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen.